Welcome to the Land of Goshen podcast. This is where you can hear the latest sermons from Goshen Presbyterian Church in Belmont, North Carolina, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. For more information on Goshen Presbyterian Church, please visit GoshenPCA.com. That's GoshenPCA.com. Our reading this morning is Psalm 139, 23 to 24. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. As we noted earlier, this is our annual celebration of the anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation when Martin Luther nailed the theses on the door at Wittenberg. And if you study history books, you do learn a lot about the Reformation. It was a major movement in Europe, not just in the history of the church, but in the history of Western society. It had a major impact. And you learn from history books that the reformers had certain key concerns. They were concerned to reform the doctrine of the church. They said, you started out with biblical doctrine, but over the years you've added and added and added until you can't actually see the gospel underneath all the stuff you've piled on top of it. We've got to pull that off and let the gospel shine clearly again. We know that they reformed the worship of the church. They said you started out with biblical worship. But again, you've added and added and added to the point that you can barely see the worship of God underneath all this stuff you've piled on top of it. We've got to pull all that extra off so that we can see God's pure worship again. And the history books are right. Those were major concerns of the Protestant reformers. But what we sometimes tend to overlook is they weren't just interested in the reformation of the church as a community. They were also interested in the reformation of the individuals who make up the church. Not only must the church as a community be reformed and always reforming, so also we as individual believers have to be reformed and always reforming. And we get a glimpse in this brief passage that that is God's purpose. And indeed, what we can see here is God is working. God is reforming us to preserve us. God is reforming us to preserve us. The first thing we see is that God is reforming us. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Is the psalmist asking God, will you study me and get to know me? Of course not. We know that from verse 3 of the same psalm. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. He already knows that God knows everything about him. God created him. God designed him. 
God knew everything there was to know about him before he was even born. God knows everything there is to know about you, and he has known that since before you were born. The psalmist is not coming to God saying, study me. The psalmist is coming to God saying, evaluate me. Evaluate me. Hold me up to your standard. Look me over. Give me a diagnosis. Give me a report, O God. What is wrong in my life? What is right in my life? Now the psalmist doesn't go into a lot of detail about how that happens. But we do know from the rest of Scripture what is going on when the Lord reforms you. How is it that the Lord does this work of evaluating, diagnosing, and correcting what is wrong and strengthening the work He has already done? Well, we know that God does this by His Holy Spirit. God doesn't just know your innermost thoughts. He doesn't just know your innermost being. God lives there. If you are a believer in Christ, you have been filled by the Holy Spirit of God. He fills every nook and cranny of you. Who here likes English muffins? You know that certain brand that advertises the nooks and the crannies? Man, I tell you what, there is nothing more glorious. I know, I know, butter's healthier than margarine, but I like country crock. There is nothing better than getting a toasted English muffin and filling up all them little nooks and crannies with country crocs. So wherever there is muffin, there is margarine. Whew, you can taste those glorious trans fats. It's delicious. I tell you what. That's how it is with you, though. Wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is. He fills you. He indwells you. He knows you. And He shines a light on who you are. He calls your attention. He's like, did you know that you have laziness over here? Did you know there is still selfishness in that area? Did you know that you've got a problem in this relationship that needs to be tended to? You're not living as Christ would have you live in this relationship. And He draws your attention to those areas so that you know them and so you can act on them and correct them. He evaluates, He diagnoses, and He shows you His report. This is how I evaluate you based on the model of Christ. Now, of course, if we're going to go and submit to the Holy Spirit for an evaluation, which is another work He does, leading us to submit to this work, how are we going to do that? How do we know the standard? What is the tool the Holy Spirit uses in order to carry out this evaluation? What's what we just read from? The Word of God. Remember, who inspired the Bible? The Holy Spirit. This is His Word in particular. This is what He is saying to you as a believer and as a follower of Christ. 
And we know from the Psalms, especially Psalm 119, that as we know the Word of God, we know how we ought to live. And even beyond the law of God, we have the Son of God who is revealed to us in the Scriptures, Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate. If you want to know how to live a godly life, it doesn't get any better than to look at God living as a human being in a sinful world. You can look at him and see the perfect example of this is what it looks like to live for God Almighty. Challenging, isn't it? Powerful. Because when you look at Jesus, what is the overarching theme of his life and his ministry? What did he teach were the two great commandments, the two driving forces? Love for God and love for neighbor. Everything else in the Bible is an explanation of those two things. How God has shown his love to us, how we are to show our love to God, how we are to show our love to our neighbor. That's it. Every law, every commandment is an explanation of those things. And so we come to the word of God and we say, all right, show me. Where do I need to love God more? How do I need to love God more? Where do I need to love my neighbor more? How do I need to love my neighbor more? And also, let's not be completely discouraged here, where am I getting it right? Where have I already begun well and simply need to build on that foundation? Where is the Lord already at work in my life and I simply need to seek Him more? To work in my life. And the Spirit, as we come and listen to Him speaking in His Word, shows us in our lives. He applies it to us. He shines the light of His Word like a flashlight and says, right over there. Look right over there. That's where you've got to do the work. That's where you've got to do the repair, and that's where I'm going to start working in your life to make you more like Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we don't just hear the Word of God by reading it ourselves. The Lord reforms us through the Word of God spoken by our fellow believers. You see, we are a community. We do live together, and individual reform is not individualistic reform. It is not something that I am undertaking alone for my own sake. When someone else has an area in their life that I can see clearly needs to be addressed according to the standard of Scripture, then I can go to that person and say, look, according to the standard of Scripture, this clearly needs to be addressed. You need to work in this area. Now, it is interesting. I was at a conference yesterday, and this issue came up, and the conference leader was from New York. And he was like, man, the South, 
He said, I don't see how you guys do this because you always dance around everything. You beat around the bush and then finally get to the point. He said, from in other areas of the country, if a believer needs to correct another believer, they just walk up to him and like, hey, we need to talk about this. He said he had a roommate from the South and he told him, you need to start washing your dishes. And the guy went, whoa! You can't just come up to a guy and say, start washing the dishes, man. You got to lead up to it. You know? build to that conversation. But it's amazing. Yet we do need as Christians to do that. To have that love to say to someone, look, I need to tell you what the Word of God says. And again, notice that. Not, I need to tell you my opinion. Not, I need to tell you my preference. I need to apply the Word of God to your life. I need to apply a principle that God has taught us to your life. Now that takes courage and that takes boldness and it takes love and charity, but we also need to be willing to hear when someone brings the Word of God to us. That's the hard part, isn't it? That's the hard part. We don't want to hear someone tell us that we're wrong. We don't want the Holy Spirit to shine the light of His Word through another person because then we feel like we've been caught. Well, I've got news for you. You have been caught. Not by another person, but by God. And He already caught you anyway. This person is just the tool He's using to proclaim His Word to you. As long as what you are being told is biblical, accept it as the searching, the evaluation the diagnosis and the correction that God the Holy Spirit is giving. If somebody gives you unbiblical advice, you're free to set it aside. But if what they are saying is true, if what they are saying is biblical, listen to it. Listen to it. By the way, do you know how you can usually tell, there are exceptions, but how you can usually tell that advice is probably something you need to listen to? How defensive are you when it's brought up? The more defensive you get, the closer to home it has probably hit. But ultimately, does it agree with what God has said in His Word? That is the evaluation. But usually that tells you if you do need to look into His Word very carefully because it might be on to something. Now a question we might ask is, why is God doing all this? I mean... I'm saved, I believe in Jesus Christ. I know that my sins are forgiven in Christ and covered by His blood, and I know that at the end, God is going to glorify me and make me perfect. Why is He doing all this work? That's one of the biggest questions Christians have. I understand what He did back then when I came to Him. I understand what He's going to do then when He comes again, But why is he doing all this stuff in the in-between? Why does this life matter so much? Why does this work of reforming, this work of sanctification, matter so deeply to God? There are a lot of reasons we could go, go into this morning into why all this matters. There are tons. But the text points to one major reason. God is preserving us. God is preserving us. 
and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Notice, God is preserving us from the hurtful consequences of sin. God is preserving us from the hurtful consequences of sin. You have to understand, sin is poison. Sin is poison. God is life. God created us and gave us life. And God wants us to live life glorifying Him and enjoying Him forever. What did Jesus Christ say? I have come to give them life and life to the fullest. Sin robs you of the fullness of life. And if we are not delivered from the guilt and the power of sin, it robs us of life altogether. We die in this life and we come to eternal death in the life to come. Even if we are in Christ, though, even if we have been delivered, sin cannot kill us, but it can hurt us. You know, not all poisons kill. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, anyone here remember the old comedian Red Skelton? I like Red Skelton. I like to watch the Red Skelton show, and I will never forget, because back then the commercial was part of the show, it wasn't a separate thing, his sponsor, Tide, he would work it into skits, he'd mention it into the show, and he could do all these funny things to bring up Tide detergent. I cannot use that detergent. My mother bought it once, she washed the clothes, she had to re-wash my clothes and my father's clothes, because as soon as we put the clothes on, we broke out in a rash. I'm allergic. I can't use that product. It's poison to me. Now, it did not kill me. I don't think wearing clothes washed in that detergent would kill me. But it did hurt me. It made it very uncomfortable. And because I had less comfort, I wasn't able to function the way I should, nor was I able to have the joy that I ought to have in my life. That's how sin is to the Christian. It can't kill you outright but it can harm your ability to function and it can rob you of the joy, the comfort, and the satisfaction that you ought to have in Christ. It becomes this harmful annoyance that if we are to thrive, if we are to grow, it has to be gotten rid of. When the Holy Spirit shines His light on an area of correction, He is not like a teacher pointing to your homework going, that is wrong, and he marks it with the red pen. Fix that! Correct that! He's like the home inspector walking through a house on one of those house renovation shows. You got mold here. That's not healthy. You'll cough and you'll get sick. We're going to clear out that mold so you can be healthier. You got wood rot over here. That's, that beam supports the structure. If you don't treat that, the house will fall in, and that would be bad, so we're going to take that out and put a new beam in. He's not there to judge. He is there to strengthen. And he does so by pointing to the hurtful way and getting you away from that. Building you up in Christ so there is less and less of the poison of sin to come between you and the full experience of your relationship with God. 
Not only is God preserving you from the hurtful consequences of sin, but he is preserving you in everlasting life and lead me in the everlasting way. You see, when you came to Christ, you began a new life right then and there. You started a new life. A lot of people think, well, now that I've come to Jesus, I will have eternal life when he returns. No, you have eternal life right now. You are already alive in Christ. You have already been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And you are not completely like Christ yet, but you have already begun to be shaped in His image. That life, that life is our most precious possession. John MacArthur has famously said, and I've quoted him in this before, if we could lose our salvation, we would. If we could give up that life, we would. Because you see, you're still a sinner. You still have a sin nature as well as your new nature. You have a new life, but your old life is still hanging on until the day of glorification. You have two natures at war within you, the flesh and the new nature, the new creation. And they fight and they squabble. And if we depended on our own strength, we would not be sufficient to stand. The reason God is at work in you is because He is keeping you alive. He is sustaining your faith. He is sustaining your love for Him. He is sustaining the life of Christ. Remember, how did Jesus describe Himself? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in Me, and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, say it together, nothing. Nothing. You ever seen a branch that's fallen off of a tree? What does it do? You're probably sitting there going, preacher, I wasn't aware branches did much anyway. But no. A branch off of an apple tree, let's say, can't bear any fruit. It can't grow any leaves. It can't even live. Living is an activity. Living is something. A living tree, a living branch takes sap into itself. Its leaves photosynthesize. When a branch comes off a tree, it's dead. It is just dead. It may have some residual life in it for a while, but it is going to die and eventually it is going to rot. And that's it. If you are not abiding in Christ and He is not abiding in you, you're dead. The Spirit dwells in us and God is working in us to keep that life flowing. To keep the sap of Christ in us. To make sure that new life is always sustained. And because He is always sustaining it, we are fruitful. Because He keeps that life going, we keep taking step after step, following after 
Christ. We keep putting aside the old nature and embracing the new creature, the new creation. And we keep marching forwards towards the goal of being perfect in Christ. We'll never attain it in this life, but we will approach as close as He will let us. Because He is at work to keep us alive. In Reformed theology, we call this the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, that once you believe, you never fall away. It's a little different than eternal security. Once saved, always saved. We would agree, once saved, always saved. That's true. It's just you don't have a big emotional experience, and then no matter how you live, you're still a Christian. It's once God justifies you, once He adopts you, He is going to sanctify you, and then He will glorify you. Which is why one theologian has said, technically speaking, the saints don't really persevere. God perseveres. He brought you to Christ. He brought you to Himself. He will keep you in Christ. He will keep you for Himself, and He will bring you to the moment of completion. I am confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. That is the biblical doctrine in a nutshell. God started the work, and he is going to finish the work, which means he is doing the work right here, right now. He is preserving you in Christ. If you're a believer. And that's the million-dollar question. You see, in our society, especially here in the South, the Bible Belt, there is a lot of confusion. A lot of people think they belong to Christ, and they think, well, I did have that big emotional experience. The preacher got up there, and he preached about hell, and I was really scared of hell, and I would really rather not go to hell, but I understand that I'm a sinner, so I ought to go to hell, so I clung to Christ. Look, if that's what brought you to Christ, that's fine. Christ did preach about hell, and he did say some pretty scary things, and if that got you motivated to go, you know, I'd rather not, that's fine. The question is, what change followed that moment? Have you experienced the reforming work of Christ? Because the truth of the matter is, if God has not reformed you, then God has not regenerated you. If God has not sanctified you, God has not justified you. If He has not changed you, He has not forgiven you. Everyone who is in a living relationship with God, everyone who has put their faith in Christ alone will be changed. They will bear fruit. If you haven't experienced that change, you need to go to Christ. You need to believe in Him. You need to submit to Him as Lord and trust in Him as Savior, looking to Him for forgiveness of sins and the free gift of a new life and the pouring out of His Holy Spirit. If you're a believer and you've started to see your fruit is waning, then it's time to go and pray this prayer with the psalmist. Search me, O Lord, 
and know my anxious thoughts. Show me every hurtful way and lead me in the way everlasting. And if you're a fruitful believer, growing in Christ, abundant in fruit, you need to pray this prayer anyway. Because I can tell you one thing I know with 100% absolute certainty, this is true of every Christian in this room. You aren't perfect yet. There is still room for improvement. There is still room to go to the Holy Spirit and say, I want to display the glory of Christ more perfectly. Work in me so that I can do that. So that I can show the world the glory of Christ. We are blessed that God loves us so much that He sent His Son to die that we may be forgiven and has poured out His Spirit upon us so that we aren't left in sin, but we are transformed to be like Jesus. Let's look to Him and live for Him and be always reforming. Let's go to the Lord our God in prayer. We hope this sermon has been helpful to you. If you would like more information about the Gospel of Jesus Christ or about Goshen Presbyterian Church, please contact us using the website goshenpca.com where you can find our email address as well as our phone number. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Goshen PCA. Please subscribe to this podcast and feel free to share the good news of Jesus Christ by sharing these episodes.